Hey, this is Michael Malden. Man, it was great to be with my Upper Room family. It's been a long time. You know, I believe that we're really in a season of great exposing, and you see it with leaders around the world and their moral failures. But in spite of that, I believe that we're also in a season of great revealing, where all creation is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Yet, if we keep our junk hidden, eventually it will be exposed before the world because the Bible says that everything that's hidden will be brought into the light. That being said, if we expose ourselves before the Lord, I believe that we become hidden in Christ and Jesus is revealed to the world. And so I think that if you take this message right now and apply it to your life, you'll come out feeling a lot lighter and shining a lot brighter. <laughs> Love you guys. You know, it's interesting on Mother's Day because across the country today, there are people going to churches all across the country to protest the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. Have y'all heard about this? Anybody heard, of, heard about this happening, right? I know that we've got security here today because of that. And I was just thinking about that, the people that had the nerve to go protest against life to moms who produce life on Mother's Day at church. I was like, there's a real, like, there was a spirit of stupid released over 2020. <laughs> it hit the earth. And then to do that in Texas, I heard it happen over at Watermark. I was like, there's moms that pack heat in Texas. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be messing with mamas on Mother's Day, you know? And then you got Shekinah mamas in here that would be dumping oil on you, praying over you, <laughs> waving flags over you. You don't stand a chance in here. It would be on. <laughs> Thankful for you mamas. It's interesting because there's such hell being waged, raged right now across the nation. And back in 2010, I ran for state senate down in Houston. And the day that I got on the ballot, I found out that they were building the world's second largest abortion clinic in my district, second only to China. 78,000 square foot abortion super center. And I was like, man, what is going on? And that day, I, when I found out, I just dropped to my knees and I began to pray and weep because I knew God was leading me to run for a bigger purpose, right? And I didn't know much about the pro-life issue because um, it just, you know, it didn't affect me that much. But being in that race, I like dove headlong into it and found out the, the origins of Planned Parenthood, the woman who started it. You know, many of you guys know this, but I'm sure some of you don't. Her name was Margaret Sanger, and she was what's called a Darwinian eugenist. Anybody know what that term means? Not a lot. Okay. Darwin, origin of the species. He says that man has evolved from animal, right? So she believed that some people, some humans, were more evolved than others. Okay? And eugenics means improving the human race by controlled breeding. And she says some people weren't worth having in the earth, and she called them human weeds and would put those clinics in these specific demographic areas. That's the foundations of Planned Parenthood. It's evil to the core. Now, I'm not here to condemn anybody that's had an abortion. His grace and mercy is sufficient to cover everybody's sin in this room and then some, right? And there is freedom from that as well. But I'm here to say what's in our land in this hour is wicked. That being said, 
The enemy's trying to take out this generation because there's something that God wants to do in this generation. Think about this. In the days of Moses, when the people of God were enslaved, he wanted to send a deliverer to the earth to set the captives free. The enemy was hip to the game, and so what did he start doing? He started killing all the babies. Because the enemy knew God was up to something in a generation. Same thing happened in Jesus' day. God was sending Christ to the earth to set people free. The enemy knew what was happening. And so he started killing all the babies, trying to take out the deliverer before he came. 60 million of our generation have been gone in the last 50 years. 60 million. What does God want to do with this generation? He wants to do something so significant that the devil is raging. And the fact that you're in this room right now is a miracle. Some mom said yes to life. Let's give a round of applause for the moms that said yes to life. There's a war over this generation. There's a war over your life. There's a war over your destiny. There's a war over your identity. There's a war over our kids in the classrooms, the stuff that they're trying to teach our kids. There's a war over gender, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. There's a war in our government right now. Who's going to control the people? You look around the globe, who's, what nations are being controlled more than others. There will be sheep and goat nations depending upon how the leadership of a nation rolls. If you don't think it's important to get involved into governmental leadership, you're missing the point. Because if we're not involved, then the devil's going to rule in those places. There's a war over the destiny of this nation. Welcome to Mother's Day. Welcome to Mother's Day. This is not a game. It's not a game that we're in. But the reality is, he could have chosen you to be at any time in in human history, in any planet, anywhere. But he chose you, first of all, to be in 2022 in this room tonight to hear this message. But he divinely orchestrated this. You waited in line. Y'all are wild. But I love the hunger. And so I believe God meets that hunger. And I believe there's something that's going to awaken in you tonight as it correlates to your identity and correlates to your destiny. And God wants to infuse a next level of courage in your hearts so that you can, you can be activated into what God has called you to. Because games are over. Time for playing games is over. If you think you can just play patty cake and be nice to each other and just cover up in your bed and think all this stuff's going to go away, what's coming upon our land, you think it's going to go away? It ain't. It's only going to stop once we start standing in our rightful place because all creation is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to manifest. Waiting for the Jesus version of you to manifest in the earth with the specific gifts and calling he's put on your life. We need it. I need it. I need you to step up into your place or we can't do what we're called to do. It ain't about me. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry out there. Only 3% of you are going to do work inside the building. Only 3% maybe. Your job is to 
be revealed and manifest Christ has put this light into the dark places in the earth. I'm kind of fired up. You know, you guys are made, like, you guys, some of you guys are really made for, made for war, made for the battle. There's some of you that are, that are medics, and man, you want to mend hearts, and you want to fix people's lives and hearts, and we need that. But there's some of us that are made, like, to charge the battlefield like Braveheart and to slay giants. It's what you're made to do. The majority of us, that's what we're made to do. Think about the people of God when they were enslaved in Israel, sorry, in Egypt for 400 years. God sets them free and sends them right into their promised land filled with giants. You're like, God, wait a minute. We've been enslaved 400 years and you want to go put us into the place of giants? It's like, yeah, that's what I made you for. That's what I made you for. You'd be bored to death if you weren't slaying giants. You would be. Some of you are not believing me right now, though, because maybe your life has kicked your teeth in pretty hard. You've been betrayed, or you failed, or you're bound in sin, or whatever the case may be, and so you don't believe that you're actually made to slay giants, and, and the enemy's come in, and he's come to rob, steal, and, and kill, steal, and destroy, and he's dimming your light and your glory, but we're going to flip the light on today. We're going to remove some of that stuff so that you can go... Attack the battlefield. That sound good? Because 2017, I had my teeth kicked in. I had just come off a mission field working in refugee camps right after ISIS was like destroying people. We were over there ministering and heard some of the most horrific stories you've ever heard in your life. Right when we get back home, boom, my brother commits suicide. Right after that, uh, our youth minister dies of cancer who had beat it supernaturally the year prior. Right after that, my grandmother passes away. Two weeks later, a good friend of mine passes away. His heart blew up on him. And it was like, bang, 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 bang. And I was also just like worn out. You know, I was executive pastor here. This thing just kept growing and I was just tired. And, I, and so I had to pull aside. And I was like, man, Miller, I need, a, I need a break. I just need to seek the Lord. He goes, man, do it, you know. And I just spent some time seeking the Lord. And I asked him this, this primary question, which if if you haven't asked the Lord this question, I encourage you to write this question down, spend time with Jesus, and get the answer to this question. What's the most important thing that you want to accomplish, God, through my life? What do you want to accomplish through my life? Because when you are doing that thing, you will not be bored. It will be hard because you will face giants, but you will not be bored. Your life isn't made for monotony and boredom. Have you looked at creation? Look at what God has made. He didn't make cubicles. Let's tear those things down for God's sakes. Let's plant trees in there. Let's put an ocean in the office. Jeez. Lord, help, help the corp world. So I asked him this question, and I felt like he said, I want uh, my stories to be told in the earth, and I want people to see the heart of my son. And I specifically thought about film and media, because when, when the world looks at film and media, usually it's from a broken perspective. They usually see our, 
are fallen pastors that they tell movies and stories about, like Hillsong or something like that. Or they see just, yeah, they just see our brokenness. They see the, the church is sterile, hypocritical, boring, you know, all these things, which is completely the opposite of who Jesus is, right? He's the desire of the nations. He's wild, passionate, full of zeal, creative, like all these things. And so I felt like he said, I want, I want the world to see the heart of Jesus. And I was specifically thinking about media and all this stuff. And, and so I stepped away from my job here in faith, hardest decision I ever made. But I knew Jesus was calling me. When you hear that voice beckoning and calling you, and you get that confirmation from him, it's like you just, you gotta follow. Because you don't wanna get later in life and get old and go, man, I, I sure wish I would have done that. I sure wish I would have taken a swing for that and gone after that. That's like one of my worst fears. Like you gotta go for it. You got one shot at this life. You gotta go for that thing he's put in you, right? And if you don't know what that is, you gotta spend time with Jesus until you figure out what that is. Extremely important. So we moved out of Georgia to build a film company, put worship at the center of it. And 2020 happens and people weren't making many films. Everything shut down, right? And so we were shifting our company from South Georgia up to Atlanta, and our house wasn't ready yet. So we moved down to Tampa for a couple of months. I got family down in Tampa. And 2020, height of the lockdown, don't meet. Churches can't meet. Don't sing. They tell you not to sing in California, all this stuff. And a buddy of mine, Sean Foyt's out in California, who does worship in the craziest nations of the world. When they said, you can't sing in church, he's like, what? You can't sing? Well, we're going to do it anyway. So he starts gathering people on the Golden Gate Bridge doing worship. And he was coming down to Tampa to do a Let Us Worship. And so I was like, bro, we're in town. He's like, you're in town. Get Meredith. Let's rumble. And I was like, let's do it. So we're setting up shop to do this big worship event in downtown Tampa. You know, and it's like, it's literally the world is locked down. You're not allowed to leave your house, but we're doing a worship event. And it was September 18th. And that day is significant for me because September 18th was my brother's birthday. And my brother was from Tampa. So it was like extra heavy. I'm going to visit my parents. It's a day of mourning for my family. I brought them flowers. And when I got there, after I dropped off the flowers, I was praying. I was like, Lord, what's up with today? You know, it's like we got to do this worship thing. And he goes, I felt like he said this in my heart. He goes, it's time to plunder hell on your brother's behalf. And I was like, mm, I like that. When that thing first happened to my brother, Michael Miller said, that, hey, that, this thing that happened in your life is going to become a sword in your hand. So I want to declare to you, if you've had some traumatic thing happen in your life, some kind of betrayal, pain, that thing is designed to then become a weapon in your hand. What God meant for harm, sorry, what the enemy meant for harm, God's going to mean for harm on the enemy, <laughs> right? Go something like that. So we show up to the event. And the first thing Sean starts talking about was how the very first Let Us Worship thing they did was on the Golden Gate Bridge. And about 20 cop cars showed up because they were there, not because of them, they were there because they were on suicide patrol because so many people were committing suicide because of the lockdowns. I just talked to a guy today this morning from Australia. He said they, they were in lockdown for years. He said they were averaging about 9,000 suicides a month in Sydney. That ain't right. That ain't right. So he starts talk, Sean starts talking specifically about that right at the first of the event, so I knew it was a divine setup that day. They preached the gospel. 
Hundreds of people get saved. We're baptizing folks in cattle troughs. It was wild. Literally like 5,000 people in the middle of downtown in a time when the government's saying, you're not allowed to meet, stay home, mask up, all this stuff. And then he goes, he looks at me, he goes, hey, do you have anything? And he hands me the mic. And I said, I do. And I thought about Tampa. It's the land of, you know, there's always these parades of pirates and the teams, the buccaneers. I go, this is the land of pirates. And I said, you know, there's a godly version of that thing. The godly version of it is, is when Jesus died, he went down into hell and he took back the keys of death and Hades and he plundered hell and then graves started popping open. So I said, hey, we're going to plunder hell today. I began to share the story of my brother and how he had committed suicide and this was his home. He was from Tampa and I said, man, I don't want to lose any more brothers and sisters. So if you're struggling with suicide or depression, I want you to come down here right now. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to love you. We're going to see this thing broken off of your life and I'm just like slobber crying, you know, and all these men come rushing to the front of the stage and we're just like ugly cry, like massive hug and just seeing this thing breaking off and and this moment goes viral and people around the world are saying they're feeling suicide and depression breaking off because of what this moment, right? And I was like, man, God's up to something. God's up to something. And so we began to go city to city and seeing God move in such crazy ways in America. People getting saved like crazy. Deaf ears opening up, cancers being healed. People getting set free of suicide. Drugs being thrown on the stage. Racial reconciliation taking place in Minneapolis in Seattle, in the places where all these riots were going right into the center of it and bringing worship and bringing the presence of God and seeing the answers take place in the opposite story of everything that you were seeing in the media, we were seeing the flip of it take place in 2020 in America. God was on the move. While the enemy was saying, stay at home, sit in the corner and shut up. But the spirit and flesh are in opposition to each other. And so if you're attuned to the spirit, when the enemy says, shut up, you say, uh-uh. It's time to get louder. It's time to step out onto the scene and manifest Christ to the world because the church is the vehicle that's supposed to bring the hope. And if the church isn't out there bringing hope, what happens? Suicide, depression, despair, drugs, alcohol. Because they got nowhere else to go. And so, as we were going along... It was, we were getting national press all over the place, most of it negative. And Vice and Showtime came to Sean and said, hey, we want to do a, a documentary on you. And I said, bro, you know how they're going to tell that story. They're going to make you look like that crazy Christian, like they always do. I said, let me tell the story. So we raised some money. Upper Room was the first to chip in. So this is some of y'all's fruit, too. We began to make a documentary. And can I show you all the trailer tonight? All right, we're almost done. I got I to gotta tell you all a little inside scoop, so don't tell anybody this. Shh. Somebody this morning was like, bro, you're on the live stream. I was like, I, like, I know it was a joke. So I wanted to tell the story in such a way that if you're a non-believer and you're flipping on Netflix or Amazon or whatever, you click on it. Because if you saw a title that said, let us worship, and you're a non-believer, do you think you'd click on that? Ain't gonna happen, right? So you gotta understand the enemy's game. You gotta be wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. So you have to understand how the serpent plays the game. 
The, the serpent comes in cloaked till he's right beside you and you don't know that he's there and he bites your leg. And he comes in like a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. So we come in like sheep dressed in wolves clothing. I see how y'all play this game. So the enemy, so I said the enemy, uh, Rolling Stone magazine did this article of Sean Foyt. <laughs> Same thing, right? So he was on the front cover and it said, Jesus Christ, super spreader. And I was like, oh, I like that. Because that's what we're called to be, super spreaders, right? Super spreading hope, faith, right? Freedom. Because every time a mayor of a city, we did an event, they would try to do contact tracing back to our event. And the irony is they couldn't trace a single case of COVID back to our events. Grace of God or it doesn't spread outside, I don't know, but they couldn't do it. <laughs> but the only thing that was being spread was the gospel and freedom. And so I was like, let's, let's call this thing super spreader. Because if you're an unbeliever and you see super spreader, you're like, what's this? <laughs> right? So then we tell the story. We interview a bunch of skeptics. A bunch of opposition voices. So even in this trailer, you're going to be like, is this for Sean? Is this against Sean? There's a lot of provocative nature in it because we want everyone's voice who's watching to be heard so your walls fall down. And once your walls are down and you're just open because you're watching this thing, then we release the power of God and you see God moving in people's lives in ways that is going to make people undone. We've already done some tests. We did a test with five investors just recently. They brought an, uh, an atheist into the room just to see how he'd respond to it because, you know, they want to see, you know, someone who doesn't know anything about this world, what are they going to think looking at it? And so we watch it. We get to him like, hey, bro, what do you think? And he just, <laughs> just breaks down, sobbing uncontrollably. I was like, what's going on, man? He's like, I don't know why I can't talk. My chin's quivering. <laughs> I said, well, what's going on? He goes, I want what these people have. They live for something that I want. He goes, but I don't at the same time. They look crazy. <laughs> I was like, bro, we're a peculiar people, man. He was counting the cost. And I'm giving his life to Jesus on the spot right there in that room. So this is going to be a tremendous tool. It's going to be a tool for the body of Christ. And we're going to do a screening, hopefully here in Dallas pretty soon. And uh, I just want to get cameras on people. I want to see how it's affecting people. I want you guys to bring friends, people that are struggling with suicide, depression, drugs, etc. Our strategy is we want to go theatrical across the nation and get evangelists set up in theaters across the nation. And when the film is done, stand up rogue style, boom, come to Jesus in the theater. So that's the dream. Y'all be praying with me on that. And uh, here's the trailer. Breaking news, stay at home. That is the order tonight as the coronavirus pandemic spreads. We need to bend the curve in the state of California. Social distancing works. Stay home, save lives. Your actions can affect my health. It's critically important that everyone follows the orders that we are given. The governor of California came out with a new set of restrictions. One of those restrictions was you can no longer sing in church anymore. Period. Full stop. And I remember when he said that and I heard that, I was like, <laughs> okay, it's on. More than 50,000 Americans have now died from this virus. Christian singer and activist Sean Foyt leading what's called Let Us Worship. 
He called it a worship protest. The organizers used the pretense of religion, and that simply was not right. If Jesus were here right now, he absolutely would wear a mask. Meanwhile, suicide rates are exploding. Drug and alcohol use is ravaging America, rioting and, and destruction and unrest, and there's no church to bring the hope. I get a letter from the city prosecutor saying that you're violating the CDC requirement. We reserve the right to arrest your church members. Every thought I had was, I wanted to end it. That's scary. If you've observed recurring violations of the safer at home order, in this case, snitches get rewards. It's wild that this is happening in America, and it's wild that people are okay with it. There was a, a man that we met. He grew up in the communist country. He grabbed my hands and he said, all the things that are happening right now is how it began for us. America needs to wake up. You have to wake them up. Now that is where communism and Christianity have a headlong clash. How close is Christian nationalism to white nationalism? It is close. There are things happening today that are pushing people to a second American revolution. Christians are rising up, I'm telling you guys. This guy is probably responsible for hundreds of deaths. The people like Sean are saying about what God says, oftentimes it's false. You are not a Christian! There's a pandemic, there's a plague, Here's a move of God that's going to change America. Thank you, Jesus. It's on. We're not playing games. You know, I hear from people they quote that verse that, that, that we are supposed to submit to the governing authorities. You guys know the verse in Romans, right? But which governing authorities? Should you tell Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King to submit to the governing authorities? If it's not following this or if they're not following the Constitution, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Our framers put in there that you actually have a legal right to, not, to, to publicly disobey leaders if they're not following the Constitution. And then if they're not following this, this is our supreme ethic. The government in America was set up for them to be the servants of the people. If they're our servants, who's supposed to submit to who? We've got over 2,000 years of leadership from our king. The American Revolution was started... Because of pastors going around preaching. Most of the tenets of the Declaration of Independence. Because in England, the, 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 the sentiment was that the king was God. But these preachers were going around going, uh, 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 God is king. The most dangerous people on the planet to the rulers and powers that be are Christians. Because we can't be bought, we've already been, we've already sold out to the king. That's our ruler. Whew. 
We're in interesting times, right? I've been thinking a lot about kind of this hour that we are in. And one of the phrases I was, just recently I was thinking about this dynamic. I was like, man, so much is being exposed right now. And I walked upstairs and my wife goes, she goes, I really feel like we're in a time of exposing. And I was like, man, that's exactly what I was thinking about downstairs I was in prayer. And I was thinking about all the things that are being exposed globally. You look into 2020, there are all these prophetic words that 2020, we're going to see clearer. We're going to have all this prophetic vision. And nobody saw what was coming. But you look back, 2020 vision always looks much better in hindsight, right? So think about all that you know now coming out of 2020. I guarantee most people in this room know more about vaccines than most doctors do come out of college. I think we've got more insights into the food supply chain issues. We've got more insights into governments. We've got more insights into what teachers are bringing into schools. There's so much being exposed. Leadership is being exposed. You look at the body of Christ. Look at Hillsong. Ravi Zacharias. We need to pray for our churches and our leaders, right? We need to be praying for these guys. Because when they fall... If the church doesn't embrace them, they will get sucked right into the world system. And man, we all, everybody gets tempted. Everybody does. We make mistakes and we fall. We got to have each other's back through this stuff. But in seasons of exposing, God's desire is it for it to be a season of revealing. Because I said it earlier, all creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. But here's the deal, here's here's what keeps it from happening. Oftentimes we have this hidden junk in our life. We've been betrayed or hurt or something and so we end up doing drugs or it's porn or whatever it is. And the Bible says everything that's hidden will be exposed. It's gonna come out. And if you keep it hidden, it will be exposed before the world, and they're not going to see Jesus. However, if you take whatever you're dealing with, his grace and his mercy is so sufficient, and you expose your heart before the Lord, you become hidden in Christ, and Jesus is revealed to the world. You ever read that scripture that we are hidden in Christ? And you're like, what does that even mean? Like you have died and and you've been hidden with Christ, right? I can't quote it off. I'll quote it in a second. But the reality is we oftentimes hide ourselves in our junk and in our sin and all these symptomatic things because of the things that have been done to us. And we... And we get stuck in these patterns. And I'm telling you right now, this is a season of exposing. And so it's time to get stuff dealt with now so that it doesn't get exposed before the world or your business or your family or whatever. He wants to create a safe place for you to go, oh, I hate this part of me. I don't know if I can deal with it. If anybody sees this, they'll think I'm crazy or whatever. We all have those things. We're afraid to bring it into light. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody else is going through this thing. I promise you, 
everybody's going through something and somebody else has been through exactly what you're going through. Even though it may feel unique to you, it's because you're not talking about it and bringing it out into the light. So I want to look at, I want to look at this dynamic from the Bible. I want to look at the life of Saul and the life of David, how they deal with their stuff and how these guys step out onto the scene of their life in the most seminal moments of their life. And there's seasons of exposing and revealing how they do it. Okay? Y'all with me? All right. You'll turn with me to 1 Samuel 10. Look to your neighbor and say, no games. Games are over. It's on. First Samuel 10. So the situation here in the first Samuel 10 is the people of Israel were wanting a king. God was wanting to be their king, but the people said, no, we want a king to rule over us. So he says, all right, I'll give you what you asked for, as you wish. And so they end up getting this man named Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody, great looking guy, looked like a great leader of the nation. And the prophet Samuel goes to him to anoint him as king. And he begins to prophesy over him and said, hey, as a sign to you that this is going to come to pass... He gives him this, this kind of list of details, which I want to read, read to you. In 1 Samuel 10, beginning in verse 6, he says, Where there was a garrison of the Philistines, and, and there, as soon as you come to a city, he, sorry, he said you're going to pass by this, these Philistines, and when you come to a city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, a tambourine, a fruit, flute, a lyre before them prophesying. Okay. So he's going to come on this mountain, the upper room band's going to be coming down, they're going to be playing their jams, a little flute action, harp, strings, they're going to be playing their music, right? And he says, when you come into their presence, it says the Spirit of the Lord, verse, sorry, verse 6, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So something about this guy coming into the presence of the prophets, worshiping God, the spirit comes on him and he's going to be transformed into something else, something different than he was before. And then immediately he says, when this happens, do what your hand finds you to do for God is with you. When the spirit of God comes on you and you get transformed into another man or woman, do what God has put in your heart to do for he's with you. The same is true for us, right? And it says, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. This is Old Testament. This shouldn't be happening in the Old Testament. But something happened to this man where he was transformed into something else and God gave him a new heart. He was a new person. He was a new creation. He was a new creature. I know when the Spirit of God hit me, the things, I didn't have the desires for the same things that I used to have desires for. My heart was bent towards another kingdom. I get tempted. Temptations come. Every believer gets tempted. Jesus was tempted. But the desire is to do the will of the Father once you get a new heart. Right? But some of us, we get betrayed and we get hurt. We don't know how to process these things. And then we start leaning and sliding down a slope towards another direction. 
And so this guy, Saul, who'd been transformed by a new man, transformed into a new man with a new heart, then comes the seminal moment for his life, the big presentation, the big revealing of Saul to the nation of Israel. Okay? So the prophet Samuel calls all the tribes of Israel and says, come near, I'm going to present to you guys your king. He's going to be revealed to you. Y'all with me? All right. 1 Samuel 10, verse 20. Right before verse 20, they were like, wait, where's the guy? They couldn't find him. They're looking for the man that they're going to present to the nation. And they say, is there, so they inquired again of the Lord, is there another man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he's hidden himself amongst the baggage. Kind of strange thing, right? So you think about this. This is the moment where they want to present the king dun, 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 before the nation, the, the crowning moment. And this guy, who, remind you, had just been transformed into another man. He had gotten a new heart, but there was something he didn't understand just yet. And so where was he? It's kind of bizarre. It's a bizarre story, right? Like, what's he doing? He's literally behind the bags. Why are you taking pictures of me? <laughs> Don't be posting that. Send it to me later, though. <laughs> Think about this. He was hiding himself amongst the baggage in the most seminal moment of his life. The time when he was supposed to be revealed, he was hiding. So my question for you, first question for tonight, is what is your baggage? What is the thing that presents itself before your eyes and your mind in the seminal moments of your life? The time when you're supposed to step onto the scene and be bold and courageous and do something, talk to the girl, ask your job boss for a promotion, confront your spouse, confront somebody, this thing comes up to you and says, nah, you can't do it. You're going to get wounded. You're going to get hurt. They're not going to listen to you. Whatever the thing is, there's this baggage that comes because of our past, and we forget that we've been transformed into a new person. And so we hide this stuff, and we don't know how to deal with it. Then we medicate with porn and drugs and alcohol or gossip or whatever the thing is that we turn to, and then the light of Christ can't be seen, and we can't see him either because we're staring at the baggage. It happens. Guilty. Guilty. First time I ever preached, Michael Miller had me preach at some church. This was like in 2006. I'm up there preaching. All of a sudden, like I have, I have like a panic attack. Fear hits me. And all of a sudden, I can't even read my notes. Like literally, can't read my notes. I go silent. My knees start shaking. I picture myself running out the door. Literally, I want to run and hide. And you know what's coming into my head? Oh, they know what's happening to you. You're stupid. You can't do this. You're a horrible speaker. What are you doing here? All this, all this stuff from my past that's presenting itself. And then three girls in the front row, they start bawling, crying. And I'm going, oh my gosh, they know what's happening to me. 
they're crying for me because of what's happening. And, and I'm just like stone-faced, just still like this, but just trying to play it cool. You know that you were trying to play cool? Sweating. Trying not to just like Forrest Gump it out the back, man. I wanted to go so bad. And then all of a sudden, after I don't know how long it was, the Spirit of God goes boom through me, and I start flowing. And this thing starts coming out of me. And afterwards, these girls came up to me, and they go, oh, my God. That part where you just paused, the Spirit of God came in the room. And I was like, I was like yeah, that part. <laughs> But I learned something that the power of God is perfected in our weakness. And even when we mess up, Romans 8, 28, he's going to work all things together for good. So what if you can't lose? What if you just have to show up onto the scene and not obey that voice that says to run out the door? What if you can leave your baggage behind and just stand in a place and not listen to those other voices? So let's see how David does it, okay? Because David, David is a model for us in this season. The body of Christ needs courage right now. We need it. We need to be activated. And so David is a great model for us. So let's turn there to 1 Samuel 17. Getting warmed up. What's interesting about this too is because Saul's leadership was, was birthed in fear and he was bound in fear because it said that he's, he, he saw himself as small in his own eyes. He didn't see himself rightly. He didn't see himself as the son of the living God, right? So he was looking at all the negative aspects of himself, which, man, if we stare at our own shadows and our own junk, we're not going to be able to accomplish anything. But if we see what God has done through our lives and wants to do through our lives, that's when we step into the anything is possible realms, the exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we think or ask and imagine realms. Those realms are real. We have to believe them and not believe the lies. You got to expose the lies and reveal the truth. And so under Saul's leadership in 1 Samuel 13, I'm not going to go there fully, but it says that the people of the nation of Israel were hiding themselves in caves and holes and rocks and tombs and cisterns. So the people of God were doing the same thing because that's what their leader was doing. Fast forward to the battle of the Philistines. The Philistines step onto the land. They step into the land of Judah. They step into the place of praise. Judah means praise. They begin to occupy their place of praise with this taunting voice Praise is the vehicle by which we magnify God. But the voice of the enemy, Philistine means stranger. So the voice of a stranger steps into the place where we magnify God. He begins to magnify himself. And the people become more aware of this other voice. And they begin to hide and retreat. And they're unable to move forward. Similar to 2020. When all these voices of media were saying, stay home, be afraid of a virus with a 99.9% .9 recovery rate. Be afraid. Not saying it's not real. If you had medical issues, it was real. But that voice was telling people to stay home and stay sidelined and bound in fear. And everywhere you went, all of a sudden, because of the tickers and the masks, you were 24 hours a day, seven days a week aware of something that you can't see.
Do you think you're supposed to be 24 aware, 24 hours a day, seven days aware, three days a week aware of something you can't see? The only thing that you're supposed to be aware of that much that you can't see is God. So if you can be made aware of an invisible virus that much, why does the Bible say, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks? Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that honors his name. How often? Continually, so that you're constantly aware of God and not some stupid virus. This should be the greatest lesson that you learn coming out of that season. One, fear blinds. But number two, the ability to magnify something that you can't see. You have that ability to do that with God. That's why you come here, come to this place, right? And so David, what you have to understand about David stepping onto the scene. When David, when Saul wasn't cutting it, Samuel goes to Jesse, who's David's father, and says, I need to anoint another king. One of your sons is going to be the king. And so Jesse brings seven of his sons and leaves David in the field. I want you to think about that. If some prophet shows up to your house from England and says, hello, we are here to coronate a new king. Bring your sons. And your dad only chooses your seven brothers but leaves you out in the field. What does that say? You're probably not a son. Think about that. Some say David was an illegitimate child born out of wedlock. There's some scriptures that validate this. Most, most Hebrew scholars believe that. So David wasn't even fully considered a son in his own family. He had a lot of reason to carry around a lot of baggage and a lot of rejection. But when Samuel looks at all those other brothers, he says, no, 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 not them. There's another one. The one that nobody sees. The one that's out there in the fields. The one that's worshiping God all the time. The one that's not listening to CNN and Fox News. That's not listening to all that fear stuff. Now that's the one. That's the one. He anoints him. Fast forward, Goliath's on the scene. David's still at home taking care of the sheep, and his dad's like, hey, go bring your brothers some food. Bring them some provisions. He brings them some provisions, shows up immediately. This is, this, this is how David, this is the most seminal moment of David's life, okay? This is how he steps onto the scene. 1 Samuel 17, verse Let's look at verse 20. It says, David arose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took provisions as he went in Jesse, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went to greet his brothers. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran into the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. You think that's there by some accident? They just wanted to put in this little detail about dropping your stuff off with the baggage. Like, that's not really germane to the story fully. I think God's saying something very significant here. Who's the keeper of your baggage? Who's meant to be the keeper of your baggage? And what is your baggage? It's the sin, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the ways you've been betrayed, the ways you've been beaten, the ways you've failed, the way you've missed the mark. All that sin stuff is the baggage. 
that Jesus paid a hefty price to carry on your behalf. You were not meant to carry any of that stuff. Because when you carry it, it kills you. It diminishes your light, diminishes your glory. It weighs you down. You feel heavy. You shrink back. You're insecure. All those things are not, your body was not designed for it. It wasn't. That's why God came along and said, hey, let me take this. Let me take it from you. Let me own this for you. As your father, let me take it all on so you can be free because I want your yoke to be easy and your burden light. Because if you're weighed down with all this stuff, you can't slay giants and you're made to slay giants. How do you slay giants carrying your bags around? You can't. You're sluggish. You can't even wield a sword. Anybody want to get free of some stuff tonight? It's time. I'm telling you, it's going to happen tonight. Can I get the band to come up real quick? So here's the deal. While the band's getting ready, David steps out of the scene. First thing he starts saying, he's like, what are y'all freaking out about? This Philistine screaming at everybody. Everybody's scared to death. And he's like, don't you realize that we are the, we're the armies of the living God? Why are y'all tripping out about this uncircumcised Philistine, this stranger? Why are y'all freaking out about this? But to them, this was a big deal. It was real as a real giant, a real thing. He's like, why are y'all tripping out about it? Immediately, he goes to his brothers. Verse 28 says, Eliab, his oldest brother, when he, when, he spoke to the, when he spoke to the men, Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he says, why have you come down? And with whom have you left your sheep in the wilderness? I know the presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And the accuser of the brethren just comes right at David. Trying to get him to pick up his baggage again because he's an illegitimate child. His oldest brother's coming at him hard. And David said, what have I done now? Because he's been accused his whole life by his brother. He knows this story. He knows how it plays out because this is what his brother's been doing to him. But what's David's response? Because usually when we hear that other voice, oftentimes we grab a hold of it. We meditate on it. We think about it over and over and over. Before you know it, you're spun out in a hole. And you have anxiety. You're like, am I wrong? Am I right? Did I, did I, did I do this? Did I have a presumption in my heart? We start questioning all these things about ourselves, right? We end up in this hole and anxiety hits us and you feel it viscerally. Anybody been there? So what happens if you decide to not listen to that voice? Because what did David do? It says, what have I done now? Wasn't it but a word? It says he turned away from him and toward another and spoke the same way. So he's like... Don't you know that we're the armies of the living God? Ah, his brother's like, I know the evil presumption in your heart. And he goes, what have I done now? Psh. Don't you know that we're the armies of the living God? And there was something about his faith that infected the leader of Israel. Think about it. The leader of Israel who was bound in fear, David came to him and said, look, in the wilderness, in my alone time, I've defeated a lion. I've defeated a bear with my bare hands. I can slay this giant because the, the living God's with me. He's not going, look, you know, my brother thinks that I'm like this and my dad thinks, you know, I'm kind of illegitimate. Maybe I could do it. You know, I throw rocks really good. 
he's not stepping onto the scene bringing that baggage. He left the baggage with the keeper of his baggage. So when he steps on, he said, look, I've defeated a lion. I've defeated a bear. His faith infects the leader of Israel so much. Think about this. The entire nation was upon David's shoulders. He says, you go face him. This young kid, that takes tremendous faith to be a king and go, this young boy, to go, okay, take your rocks and go face, the, face this giant because if you don't win, our nation's lost. He risked an entire nation upon this boy solely because this boy's faith infected him. Your faith is infectious the same way your insecurity and fear is infectious, but your faith is much more powerful. The same way you can grab a hold of those negative thoughts and spit out of the hole and having an anxiety attack, you can set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is seated and spin up into heavenly dimension and have a faith attack. I'm dead serious. We're supposed to live like that all the time, just wild-eyed faith. Like, ooh, what giants we get to slay today. Spirit of the living God's with me. Because I can go get in the river, I can get a stone, I can get a word that's, that's much better than that lie that I've been believing. Because I let go of my baggage, I'm picking up something else. I'm picking up a stone. Picking up this word. Because this blood speaks a better word over your life. There's a better word over you than you believe in over yourself. God wants to take you into the exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask, think, or imagine. He wants you to be able to come to him, expose your heart before him, and he wants to, he wants to keep you completely hidden from the enemy and so that you can reveal Christ to the world. Read with me real quick. Pull up, pull up, pull up Colossians 3. If y'all stand with me real quick, let's stand. Colossians 3, 1. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, not on the lies, not on the sin, not on the baggage. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, you appear with him in glory in the earth. So when you expose yourself before him, you are hidden and the glory of God is revealed to man. But when you keep your sin hidden, you're hidden in your sin, there's no glory. They can't see Jesus. So I feel like there's some people tonight you're hearing what I'm saying and you're like man I don't know this God just yet you're like I haven't been transformed into another man my heart is still bent towards the wrong things I haven't experienced a taste of the goodness of God I don't know why God's put me on this earth I want to be free I want to be free I want to be born again into the newness of life I want to be transformed into another man or woman because God you've made me for so much more than where I am right now so if you close your eyes hey this is a no shame zone alright it's a place of freedom and, and place of new birth 
And if your heart's beating in your chest because you know I'm about to call you out, that's okay. It's your day. We've all been there. Some guy did an altar call for 20 minutes for me. He said, I love this one more person in there that wants to give his life to Jesus. And I'm like, nope. Another voice was inside of me was saying, yes. Because I knew my destiny was on the other side of that fear that was trying to keep and hold me back, keep me stuck in those same sin patterns. So if that's you and you feel like tonight's your night to give your life to Jesus, I want you to raise both hands high. Come on, yeah, both hands high. Yes, keep them up. Come on, be bold. Be bold. Be bold. Yes. 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 There's somebody else in here. I know there's somebody else. I know there's somebody else in here. So I'm just gonna count to three. This is your, this is your, this is your last opportunity tonight. But don't worry, God will still keep hunting you down. But what are you waiting on? Yes, come on, brother. That's right. Can I get the ministry team down here? Can I get the ministry team down here? Hey, if you raise your hands, I want you to come pray with this ministry team. Hey, no shame zone. Don't worry about it. This is, this is new life. This is what you're made for. It's for freedom that he set you free, my brothers. It's for freedom that he set you free. All right, here's the deal for the rest of us. Anybody, any, God speak to anybody about some baggage tonight that you're carrying? Raise your hand. If he's got supposed to you about some baggage you're carrying. All right, who else? Come on, if we all, everybody's got some baggage. If he's supposed to you about some baggage, come on down. Let's come lay it at the altar. Come on down. Let's have family time. Let's get free. Let's come put our, put our things with the keeper of the baggage.